Hello, this is Brian from Living in the End Times with Amos and X. As always, thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to follow us on social media. Give us a favorable rating on the podcast app of your choice, say CastBox or Podcast Republic. And most importantly, support us through Patreon at patreon.com slash endtimespodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash endtimespodcast, one word. And thank you in advance. drive down a freshly paved street They swerve to avoid the sharp edges of manhole covers of red light to navigate the radio Got the windows open and the air Conditioning on Bulletin There's a heat wave coming Delivery of an Early warning But you are always Looking Past The facts You give me no hope To be calm before I sleep I don't want to think about the things that I leave undone I like to have a thick shell to keep me whole I want to keep you right here with your best Come on working in Valentine That, uh, that was Christian Undertaker by <laughs> Undertaker, excuse me, by Silkworm, um, which, you know, more than I would have thought at the time, I think is going to set us up for this discussion in so far as it references um, an individual who, uh, a scholar who looks past the facts and, and so on. But. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so 
We're tonight we're talking about Michelle Foucault, our gay dad. Um who so the what's the book called? The Last Man Takes L S D. Um, oh yeah. Foucault in the seventies or whatever it's called. Um and it's it's more about like Foucault's relationship to neoliberalism and mm. sort of the like how what happened when he abandoned his revolutionary politics um and how that coincided with his travels through um California in the 70s like after the hippie boom and everything like that um but it also coincided with him i mean as the title suggests dropping acid and sort of getting into the drug scene more yeah uh, death valley more, yeah so. But he really, liked, according to this, he really what he really liked was the gay scene in San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, and we'll get into this maybe as it arises. But it's terrifying and indicative that recently, right before this book came out, someone um, accused Foucault of fucking kids in Tunisia. Um, so. It was well, I guess, well established that during the must have been the '60s, he spent time in Tunisia and he would he would fuck underage boys, but they were like, in their, they were like teenagers. But this, the new allegations are that he was having sex with like eight and ten year olds on a regular basis, um, which somebody had pointed out that you know they were like, uh there are better ways to, or there, there are sort of like more effective ways to criticize his philosophy than, you know, reverting to this, to which I didn't reply, but would reply, except that all of the partisans, all the partisans of Foucault, all these like fake leftist liberals who love Foucault rely completely on the notion of individuality and individual morals and ethics as the final rubric of all thought. So you have to play by your own rules and this should disqualify Foucault from serious consideration on philosophical grounds because of his moral transgressions. If we accept their own internal logic, now no one will ever do this or bother to, you know, take them their own ideas seriously enough to cancel Foucault. But it's, it just shows the sort of the overall fraudulence of the, history of what's called the history of sexuality post Foucault, i.e. identity politics and practice, which turns sexual mores into philosophical positions and political commitments, um, which is, of course, riddled with problems as we see, like, I mean, the biggest sort of example that recently is Woody Allen finally sort of being dragged to the carpet for you know at least allegedly and i i don't see any reason not to any reason to believe this didn't happen given what came after that he he you know raped his very young daughter um and the only reason charges weren't brought had to do with just like tactical prosecutorial decisions like the prosecutors were worried that the kid would wouldn't hold up under testimony because she was so young and he didn't 
he thought it would be more damaging to do that. And he took responsibility for not bringing it to, to court. Um, but the Woody Allen's narrative was like, look, two people investigated. No one did anything. But when they they opened the files on the 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 original um, psychological evaluations, they saw like massive um, discrepancies between what was written in there and what was discovered by social workers in the police. So like in, in the it seemed like there was some sort of setup going like, do you see? The, the people with the um, divergent analysis seem to be like they might have been paid off or something like that, according to the documentary series. But the point is, like, it's pro- that's a problem for liberals, too, because Woody Allen makes good movies and now they have to make a decision. They think they have to make a decision. I think you just are an adult and you're like, he can make good movies and also be a monster. You don't have to keep watching if you don't want to, but you also don't have right. to deny the the value of the art, um, which is, I think, the only sane way to exist in the world as an adult. But somehow we've lost this in our adolescent, like, fucking everybody just like, it's like that. What was that? Um, That record review on Pitchfork or that one shitty album that was just a like seven second video of a gorilla pissing in its own mouth um, like, yeah, it was for jet <laughs> in like the band jet 2004 or something um yeah. that's sort of like the liberal condition right now is just yeah. a monkey pissing in its own mouth and like that's you know the the problem with sort of turning Foucault into a godhead or something is precisely that, that like, he's basically just a bourgeois piece of shit who like every other, you know, boomer. I mean, he was older than them, I guess, but not by enough. Apparently like every other boomer, you know, abandoned their politics as soon as like things got hairy or complicated or weren't fun anymore. Um, if, I mean, yeah. to that point, I mean, the, this particular accusation of, for Foucault, notwithstanding the latest one about Tunisia, I can't speak to it. If it's true, it's horrifying. But even that aside, I think he's he was on the record publicly. Um, he was a signatory to that age of mm-hmm. consent stuff in what 1977 or so. So trying to lower it in France to uh, age 13 or something. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he was pretty open about that in that sense. Right. So that sure. for context, like. Um, well, th- there was this letter signed by a bunch of people who are regarded, you know, as sort of saints of theory for liberals mm-hmm. now, like, um, uh, John Paul Sartre, um, yeah. even like, who was that feminist, uh, philosopher, um, uh, Simone de Beauvoir. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I think she signed it. Foucault signed so. it. So they're trying to they were trying to lower the age of consent on the grounds of sexual liberation. And it's very important to understand, I think for people who aren't familiar with these debates, um, that is the end game of like sexual liberation politics. Like that's where it leads. And I sort of want to get into this later, but I mean, maybe it just allows us to, well, okay, let's back up. I'm going to press pause on that and just let's sure. talk a little bit about neoliberalism and Foucault and maybe if you want to just – you know more about Foucault in general than I do. So if you just want to describe maybe what, what – Yeah, and please fill in the, the blanks and I'm going to probably 
leave a lot out, but uh, 19, uh, God, what was it, 79, 78, Foucault uh, gave these lectures at the College de France, and, um, which he later called the birth of biopolitics. And that's um, sort of the origin of this notion of biopolitics, the ways in which uh, governmentality, which he called it, or just political regimes began, people saw that they were starting to sort of infiltrate everyday life. Uh, life itself was politicized and healthcare was politicized, all this stuff in ways they hadn't been. And that's the neoliberal uh, condition, which is the entry of the market itself into all these formerly non-market spaces. And so this is his book on neoliberalism, the one that's called The Birth of Biopolitics. Um, and in that he reads all the, the Austrian dudes, um, the Germans, uh, sort of, uh, he talks about the quote, German Ordo liberals, and then ultimately the, uh, I think the term in the book is anarcho liberals or something, which is the Americans, the ones who are basically <laughs> anarchists, no rules. Um, and so, I mean, he, as he sort of reviews all this literature um, on the new liberalism or neoliberalism, uh, he sort of theorizes the ways in which it serves as a sort of a, a check on government. It's more than just an extension of classical liberalism, but it's a, it's a new way of governing people, uh, which totally keeps government in check, if not entirely, as we've seen now by the 21st century, sort of undermines it in its entirety. It almost starts to dissolve as the market is everywhere, um, but it still serves as a way of governing people, but without government, mm -hmm. I think if that makes sense. So He's theorizing all that. Um, and then the, after that, the debate is about, has been at least among the left, whether Foucault was like endorsing neoliberalism, whether he understood the, the horrors it would sort of, uh, uh, sort of, would sort of in, unleash upon the world, you know, decades after he thought about it. Um, but for him, it was sort of a, a way of getting away from this sort of ossified Marxist politics of the left, but not a capitulation to the right. Um, and I think we're just sort of, we're just not so sure, at least you and I in the 21st century. Right. Yeah, I think that's, <clears throat> that's uh, about the long and the short of at least the, to the degree that I understand it. I mean, before reading this, I didn't realize that Foucault was actively theorizing neoliberalism as like he was trying to, at least according to this, um, his move was basically, he was saying the left was wrong to to not embrace neoliberalism as like something to theorize uh, and sort of see it from neoliberalism's perspective. And, but it, it's already very murky because like, as Foucault had pointed out, like this was already the means of governance in Germany since the Federated Republic 40 years prior to his writing. Um, and I think the best example of that um, in film that I know of is I'm sure there's way more examples in like German cinema, but like uh, sort of a stark one is in the Bader Meinhof complex about the red army faction, which is a phenomenal film it's from 2008. Um, they show like the, so they're trying to, f this is before they have like a functional internet, but they're trying to figure out who's, hiding the red army people as they're going around doing whatever shit they're doing. And the, the sort of MI five type guy, a German guy is, he starts to almost use like Foucauldian or, um, you know, like Judith Butler style, uh, theoretical 
approaches to thinking about how to find them and then they start using data to parse out and they start reducing down the number of people that like it's basically this relativism so like oh we have to kind of like we have to think like the terrorists but we have to sympathize with them if we're going to understand what they're doing and who would help them and all this shit um and it ends up working as far as capturing them eventually and so like that's i would argue that that's sort of the the neo like it's very interesting that foucault does not see neoliberalism as a political ideology well he does and doesn't on the one hand he says that the people it's very contradictory like like on its face he's saying like on the one hand the the people who talk about neoliberalism are they don't take it seriously as a political project they just see it as like an extension of neoclassical economics but then he says but it's not an ideology it's an art it's the art of governance which okay so what what is it then right. you know splitting hairs yeah yeah and it, it's it, again it's contradict self contradicting um and it's not it doesn't seem to be the result of like a terribly nuanced position it's just it seems like foucault is like you said like reacting to like he's claiming that the the marxist based superstructure model is just like it's it was antiquated by the 70s and it doesn't really work and it's just like well there's no the only difference is there's no base now you know like i mean it's all superstructure like if if neoliberalism constitutes anything as a historical tendency it's that it's all superstructure that's why you have like these like ridiculous um i mean we see it now it's just grotesque like that cia ad where that woman was like i'm a cisgender Latinx, but I'm not going to apologize for who I am. And it's like, well, you're in the CIA. You have your hand on the joystick vaporizing you many kids. You know, maybe you should <laughs> be apologizing for who you are. Like maybe you could cultivate the capacity for shame and we might all be a little bit better off even from this neoliberal perspective. But again, that's insufficient. Like Chrisman said on Chapo, like for the hyper individualized subject i don't know if you use the word subject but i will um that does constitute liberation that is winning is i get to say my identity and not have to apologize even if that identity is totally serving state power and ca- the interests of capital and not have to worry about movement politics anymore or anything as part of that. Yeah, there's like no, there is around. no possibility of a collective. Therefore, right. it's not something we have to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it would probably be labeled as anti-Semitic or like racist or something to talk about, you know, collective politics. And so, like, I'm just very baffled by all of this sort of maneuvering that Foucault seems to be engaged in to try and like, it seems like this impatient reactive, like, Oh, this is boring. This old stuff is boring and it doesn't work anymore. So let's get some new shit. It's like, you know, I, I think back to Adam Smith that um, government is the shadow cast uh, over society by business. It's like, has that changed in 300 years? Of course not. Uh, So like, but my point earlier about like, pure governmentality or pure governance it's like there's it's all or all superstructure it's like that is the vision of the so we should probably clarify a little bit there were like open neoliberals but these people were right-wing 
philosophers or reactionaries like yeah. uh like francis fukuyama who wrote the book like what what was it called um, the end of history the end of history and the last yeah. man or hegel's yeah. last man or something like that mm-hmm. and uh people like Hayek. paul wolfowitz mm-hmm. um yeah i'm talking about people who are actively like involved in like sure. statecraft um and you know all these pro i'm sure like people like the brookings institute and the atlantic council and all these like horrible you know some of it was like that so that was the most interesting well one of the more interesting parts of adam curtis's hyper normalization was when he showed like fukuyama and wolfowitz talking about like what their plans were and then you see later that they they sort of when they got like when they got Bush ele- or when Bush got elected, they were able to play their game out yep. to the fullest extent of like the horror that they were able to inflict. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we're living with the results, which is just like basically uh, domestic policy is, doesn't exist. It's all just about hyper imperialism and like horror and then later drone warfare with Obama and you just gut the country. Like the, the thing about like, Oh, we're going to let the market decide in terms of whatever sexual relations. And could you explain what Foucault means specifically by biopolitics? I think it's, it means we're living uh, in an era in which, um, life itself just biology is sort of is governed in its entirety by basically the market right mm-hmm. so the the political maneuverings or the political outcomes uh, the effect on life uh but without government again to the new mm-hmm. liberal point mm-hmm. um so i mean government can be a part of that about biopolitics but in his estimation ultimately it's it won't be or isn't right so um, the paradox is that they want less government. They basically want, they want the market to govern everything. And then of course, what you get is a massive explosion in state power and state intrusion into every element of life. It's just all blended together with corporations. Like, you know, as early as 2012 in uh, Julian Assange's book, Cypherpunks, which is a highly rec, I highly recommend. And it's not, it's easy to read because it's just in, it's just transcriptions of interviews between him and these other like hackers. Um, Apple bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, they, they discuss in that book basically like our, so again, this is 2012. Is it even possible to, to differentiate between Google and the government anymore? And the answer is obviously no, or just corporations in general. So like the, and this is all the problem with like, so Foucault is not yet talking about neoliberal economics either, which is also a problem because w- when we talk about neoliberalism on the left, normally what we're talking about is the Chicago school, Milton Friedman style, like disaster capitalism, uh, going to Chile, kill the literally like execute the left, have authoritarian control and, uh, reshape the economy to just crush yeah. the population. Right. And as Michael Hudson points out, in order to get a free market in the way they mean, you need authoritarian control in order yeah. to enforce that quote unquote market it, because it has to break the way that they want it to break. Meaning right. like the people, the winners in the market have to be the people that they decide should win. 
And the only way you get there is authoritarian control. You can't have democracy. You can't have functional democracy, political democracy, let alone economic democracy with neoliberal economics. It just doesn't work. Um, Foucault seems to be aiming at something else. He sees it more as a political project. Um, but again, it's all wishy-washy. Like it's unclear. Yeah. Is it? Is it not an ideology or is it an ideology? Mm -hmm. If it is an ideology, then what are its contours? If it's not and it's just a way of being, which seems to be what he wants it to be. Yeah. And they say in this book that he himself said he's basically was writing fiction, um, which is really funny. He admitted which, to it, yeah. Yeah. So, so like, which is sort of the, the, reflect, the reflexive critique of this liberal theory uh, like Foucault and Derrida and Butler and stuff. It's like this hyper relativization of everything uh, where all there are narratives and you're just sort of choosing between narratives and there's no truth and there's no, mm -hmm. uh, there's no objectivity and whatever. And, and I mean, obviously to a degree that's always true, but Foucault is saying that like, he's basically just doing, he's just lying effectively. Yeah. Um, for his own purposes. And that's fine as a speculative exercise, but when you're using it to endorse an alternative to the left, like you're going to reap what you sow eventually. And that's sort of like where we live. So we have government intrusion into everything that we're doing, corporate intrusion via, you know, no privacy and social media penetrating and dominating and eviscerating the social fabric um, logistics chains that decide what we eat and you know how much it costs and all this stuff like highly centralized control. Yeah. Um, it just who not who has access to health, health right? Yeah. yeah, what the price of that is, and then the using economic policy and the bond market to just con literally control reality, like constrain people's um. Uh, constrain people's movements economically but also physically because if they don't have any money or they can't take time off their job and all this stuff like you know the 90s Bill Clinton was probably I would say in some regard the most neoliberal president in the Foucauldian sense um, whereas Wolfowitz and them were the most like Fukuyamaist uh, type of um, neoliberals or, or Milton Friedman type of neoliberals since Nixon. Um, but yeah, Nixon sort of christened this whole period uh, intentionally or not, mostly intentionally. But again, same thing. Like even when you have like, you know, the, 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 the sort of bit we're always doing, the Chris Hedges thing about how Nixon was the last liberal president. He was also bombing Cambodia. Like you, you kind of like, you can never distinguish between state power, capitalism and all that stuff. Um, and you certainly don't get there by pretending that like basically the government doesn't exist the way that it used to and that the, the market is a more free flowing way of, um, allowing people to create their own identities. So like yeah. Foucault is like supposedly after he saw and was inspired by the Iranian revolution and this sort of different political logic than the Western left. Zizek's argument has long been that he basically retreated from that and retreated into this care of the self sort of mm -hmm. neoliberal psyche or whatever. 
Um, because again, on its face, this is just boomer annoying, like, oh, I'm going to get these extreme experiences and then I'm going to become a different person and I'm going to be, you know, it's like, who gives a shit? Like that doesn't stop the bombing in Cambodia. That doesn't, um, feed poor black and brown people, kids in the hood or whatever, like to take your pick of exacerbated social problems, um, that have like festered and infected more and more of the society as time has gone on and the the like the economic inequality is worse than it's been in the history of capitalism um the worst it's been since it's worse than the french revolution uh day prior to the french revolution so like what are we really aiming at here and what it seems to be is it's a way for the bourgeois to escape the constraints and the responsibility for their um, their class alliances. I mean, in in a basic sense, right? To think that they're changing the world by changing themselves, right? I mean, which on the one hand they kind of are. I mean, I, I buy that too, but it's 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 different. They have a different thing in mind. And you used the word identity earlier, and I think that's exactly right. So, I mean, the way I understand all of this was, um, you know, maybe for good reason. Uh, Foucault, big of it, uh, a big part of his concern was, you know the ways in which his self, you know, homosexuality was was illegal, right, in the 70s in many places. And so, and he saw that as, you know, the government did that, a government of a state sort of made him, his being, his identity illegal. Um, and he saw this neoliberalism as a way in which those different identities for those on the center left could be freed. And I think in some ways that's happened, right? Mm -hmm. um, the new, the ex, you know, the explosion of the market into all these non-market sectors has allowed for all these sort of different sorts of identities to emerge and sort of gain some legitimacy. Um, but again, at, at what cost? And I think that's, that's what he didn't understand or get was that at the cost of like actual freedom itself for the society. And, right. And like, there's really fucking wild surreal parallels to what he was arguing, like the return of the repressed to that. And it's not even that repressed, but I mean, just for the sake of uh, lucidity, I suppose like, um, so on the one hand you have, right. Like gay liberation, women's liberation, you know, hopefully racial liberation of course no class liberation because like that's yeah why would we talk about that um but sure you get all that and then the converse of that is you get this right-wing reaction so and you know Foucault when, and we've talked before about how the CIA was instrumental in making sure Foucault got a foothold in the U.S. and Baudrillard i.e. the more right-wing uh, thinkers in France and then people like structuralists like Lacan and Althusser and um, Claude Lévi-Strauss like were not brought over to the U.S. Uh, for political that was politically motivated. Um, but like so you get supposedly like these liberated identities and obviously we support that and that's a good thing culturally. But the converse of that is then Foucault, Foucauldianism winning and being in power in the U.S. in U.S. academia humanities departments means that the so they they did win and it infected everything so much so that the right started 
being right-wing Foucauldians, except for them it was white identitarianism. Or if you get to darker parts of the internet, um, pedophiles claiming it that they ha just have a different sexual identity and people need to like give them rights and respect them and all this sort of like horror, horrifying shit. Like it's basically like if I'm a Nazi, you have to respect my Naziness. Um, any there's not a good answer to that, really. I mean, it's sort of laughable on its face at the level of like white people aren't oppressed in the way that they're claiming. Uh, pedophiles are definitely not oppressed. They're just um, they're just monsters who want to hurt children, and we don't want that to happen, so we stop it. But then you see, like. It's already baked in the fucking cake when Foucault is signing letters trying to lower the age of consent to 13 in France for his own nefarious purposes, obviously, at least in part. Like, that's not the whole... Again, it's like, okay, well, that's not... Politics isn't reducible to that. Well, it is reducible to that when you tell us that individuality is all that matters. Then we have to start reading it back into your life and your lifestyle. And if your lifestyle involves fucking underage boys in, in this in the Tunisian case, underage male prostitutes, like that's an exploitative relationship. That is a relationship of pure domination. Um, there's no getting around that. And so the people who read and support Foucault, the liberals who get behind this sort of alleged like anti-oppression, anti-prison, like anti-asylum kind of, rereading of modernity um, are tacitly endorsing the thing that they claim to hate because it, that's where it leads. Like if you don't have class politics, it, it's not, it's not a historically contingent thing where like Marxism is too boring. No, the, the class division is still exists. That's why it always has purchase. And that's why it's an animating force in modern, in capitalist society, because you'll, as somebody was saying, like, I think on, I think Richard Wolf even was saying, like, on Trip Fuller's podcast that, like, the rise of socialism, they, uh, socialism has expanded sort of concurrently with capitalism. Socialism is an idea or a, a goal because capitalism always creates the conditions for the desire for socialism. So that's a good thing, obviously. Um, but if you try to erase that, then you are reduced to like the idea that like we just want to we just want to sort of allow the market to mediate interpersonal relationships and stuff like that. That is a terrible idea. That's terrifying because then you get the other side of that is all this shit that's coming out or has come out about all these human trafficking rings and the Epstein stuff. And obviously some of it is literally just QAnon fantasy, but there's enough real examples um, with documented links that have been well established by now, even beyond Epstein, where it's like, if you get rich enough, you know, and, and people will come up with different, you know, claims about what the function of it, like how come billionaires become pedophiles or exploit are exploiting their power. And a lot of people say it's just sort of trade craft and it's a way for intelligence agencies to get dirt on people. And like, you don't get in the club unless you do darker and darker things. And then they have shit on you. So you're going to play ball with them or whatever. Maybe that's true. I mean, that's what they used to do with gay people in the cold war. Um, 
put them in compromising positions or at least make it look that way and then use that as leverage against them to get them to do what they wanted. Uh, so that's probably part of it. I think it's just, I mean, with the Woody Allen thing, for instance, like one of his claims in the nineties was why would I like, I'm not a pedophile. So why would I assault my own daughter at 50 years old and I've never done it before. That doesn't make any sense. And to, to that, I respond, you weren't powerful enough to see yourself as a God yet. You didn't have enough money and adulation to like melt your brain into thinking that you can just do whatever the fuck you want. And having these horrific desires that maybe were either latent or you just didn't think you could get away with it, you know, because the, the obvious like counter example or, nightmare fuel is that he ended up marrying his other daughter or stepdaughter granted she was of age but still like what are we talking about here so i think there's a just it's just a lot more of like that yeah there's such a the wealth disparity is so extreme that if you're a billionaire like that one economist was saying you know we've never basically never been in a situation in human history where people are this rich relative to everyone else. And you just literally become a different species, you know? So I probably made this point before, but like the crazy right-wing conspiracy theorists, they're sort of right in the wrong way. They, they take it too literally. They say, Oh, they're lizard people. They're reptilians. It's like, well, they're not literally reptilians, but they might as well be. Um, Well, the same thing. It all comes back to they live. I mean, it's right. different. These are aliens, basically. Yeah, yeah, and they look like us, but exactly, that's exactly right. They look like us, but they're not like us, and they can't be like us, and they can't understand us. Like I was talking off camera about just weird interactions at garage sales I was having with like the upper middle class people locally. And it's it gets real dark. I mean, not that dark, but it gets a like. I was, I was relating it to like, these people are like Rhodesian, white Rhodesians in the fifties who are just bloodthirsty. And like, and I said, there's a, it's a dangerous thing to reward white people for playing by the rules. Um, Cause that's what you get is this sort of monstrous subjectivity. Um, and, you know, it may be seem unfair to compare them to literal colonials, but it's like, it's the same fucking game. Um, it just they they have the luxury of being more displaced from whoever's being ultimately exploited in this exchange, um, but they're just as afraid of being exposed. They sense the problem, uh, you know. And like, if people want to see footage of white colonialists in the fifties and sixties, I highly recommend the the film Concerning Violence, which is just. Uh, I mentioned it before, but like it's a reading of the first chapter of Franz Fanon's A Wretched of the Earth. And they interlace that with like nine different anti-colonial struggles and like footage and interviews from that period. And you just listen to these white people talk about how justified they are in like brutalizing the native populations in Africa. And it's horrifying. I mean, it's it's shocking to see. But anyway, like. When I'm talking about human trafficking rings, too, I'm talking about these established things like link, which do have links to Epstein, like Les Wexner and these people having all of the there's like I don't I haven't gotten this far enough into the weeds to be able to like quote chapter and verse on this. But basically, like there's some weird links between places in Ohio where there would be all these stopover flights and 
basically people were being kids or underage people were being trafficked. Um, and you know, there's elite people that have links to, you know, flight logs and stuff like that is my understanding. And so again, you know, cause I remember when human trafficking first came on the scene as like a, before the Epstein stuff, even we're talking like maybe 10 years ago, like when it became like a thing that they would put in action movies as for bad guys to do. And I was like, why is human trafficking becoming so big? And I was like, oh, it's because they ran out of markets. It's because it's just money, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that's running immigrants across borders or, you know, a lot of those movies, it was just like (laughs) the, one of the characters was a shipping container full of like Chinese immigrants, you know, like, I mean, it's Uh like very cynically like staged and stuff like, because of course they had no identity. They were just in, they're just a mass of, of product basically. Um, But like, my point is like, that's what you get when you let people do whatever they want to do and tell them that that's what they should be doing. I mean, this is the logical outcome of boomer subjectivity is um, sure. You get to eat ice cream and watch whatever stupid shows you want to watch. And then, kids are getting trafficked around the the states and that or if you have enough money you just go to like southeast asia and do whatever inflict whatever horrors on whatever kids you can find and the government looks the other way because it's all about it's it's just another cog in the log- logistics chain yeah. it's sort of like globalized um it's what it's what evil looks like when uh, you have like really functional logistics chains and like air travel. Um, and like, because before this, it had to just be like, like, and I am not saying the pedophilia or anything that is new or any that that's not the point. The point is they don't give a fuck anymore. They're just sort of open about it. And like, you know, obviously people are the most likely, one of the more likely explanations for Epstein and just so people know about Epstein, there's stuff about Epstein that people don't talk about. For instance, his, his property in uh, the people who tried to prosecute him in Florida, first of all, like the sheriffs and stuff, they're like in hiding. They're like out of the country because they thought they were going to get killed and they were getting threatened by the FBI. Um, it sort of covertly, uh, but Epstein's, apartment in new york one of them it had lead walls you know who has lead walls and a bunch of recording equipment the cia the Mossad. that's it I, how do you even get lead walls installed you need cia contractors to do that like that's not a normal build, building material um outside maybe a medical facility but anyway my point is um like m- Epstein was just a foil for these people and um, we'll never know how much dirt he had on how many people because it was never his operation to begin with. It was, he was probably working with Mossad because Ghislaine Maxwell's dad was a famous Mossad agent. Um, Probably CIA. It was honestly probably just a, he was probably just a subcontractor for all of these sort of, you know, capitalist foils and government agencies or whatever. Um, but like in the past, uh, like like in that Atlanta child murders case, you know, like one of the worst either serial killer or aggregate of serial killers um, on record, there were like there's footage of 
known pedophiles that the police are and, and even the news media was interviewing about like, well, how did these kids go all go missing? They had like pedophile rings within cities. Now you don't have to do that. Now you can just, it can all be online and it can all be all this stuff. So what I'm saying is like, we have to take the darkest version of this in like, like the Derudi claim about the only church that illuminates is a burning church. Like we, um, to really get a, grip on what Foucault was actually proposing, we have to look at the effects and the freedoms that it affords the the capitalists, because that that's the truth of the ideology. And the, and the reality is it allows people to look the other way because they're being placated in their own individuality while all these horrors are just swirling about and we're destroying the climate. And again, Yemenis are getting vaporized by drones and no one gives a shit. Um, the, Israeli, the Israelis are hammering the Palestinians. No one cares. And they're allowed not to care because they don't have to look at it. And if they don't have to look at it and they're happy in their own stupid private lives, um, which are all mediated and monitored and manipulated by social media anyway, then like we it sort of creates this, you know, obviously horrifying cyberpunk, proto cyberpunk reality that is but lacks all the liberatory aesthetic qualities of something like Blade Runner. It's just, it's like bad. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's like anti-cyberpunk, but with all right. the accoutrement. <laughs> it's worse than Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. um, all this reminds me of uh, that, the Badu book, the ethics one too, which I think there's a critique of Foucault embedded in there. I think in that first chapter, doesn't he talk about the ways in which, all this talk about human rights and identity and all this sort of stuff uh, grew part and parcel, like simultaneous to, uh, I mean, as discourse to the collapse of the socialist, the Soviet regime in particular, and to socialism as a project or Marxism as a project. So as, as capitalism sort of took over and neoliberalism in particular, um, that's when people suddenly started to talk about identity and human mm -hmm. rights. But I mean, you're right. So trafficking, like it's exploded now though, human trafficking, because humans are a commodity, right? right. Um, like there are more slaves quote unquote now than in the 19th century or something whatever the, the the figure there is so i mean we can't we can't um separate all these horrors from the collapse of marxism that foucault seemed to be okay with and from the explosion of capitalism right right um which creates these problems but i was also going to say too this um to, you mentioned the CIA a couple of times, and to that point, I'm reminded that it's it's obviously so easy for, and we should be suspicious. I'll say we're not talk. And, by the way, we're not talking about our own handlers. They're they're okay. <laughs> they're cool. The uh, we we should always be suspicious when, you know, the state authorities like that get excited about theorists right, right. and there was yeah. that report from those declassified that was saying ah Foucault and the new philosophers in France we love those guys right because they are great about sort of dismantling uh Marxism that was so you know rampant on college campuses in the U.S. and so on we're excited about <laughs> right. that yeah. um and so I mean the ways in which my point being Foucault is being used by the state and the right toward these horrifying ends, much in the way that I think Deleuze was right. Uh, that that, mm, that mm. guy, I forget his name, wrote that uh, that essay called Lethal Theories about the ways in which you know the Israeli Defense Forces use they read Deleuze and they Im embed that in their strategies and tactics to sort of attack Palestinians. Yeah, literally, we're doing that literally, yeah. like using rhizomatic theory to <laughs> figure out how to. Def like so the, the example yeah. Zizek pointed to is like 
the literally they're like blowing holes in walls and like moving through these buildings but not using doors as a way to in like, a lateral oh, way yeah yeah it's deterritorialized and yeah. shit and they're just it's to like you know kill dissidents and children and stuff yeah and so again point being then for us as readers or thinkers um if if the agencies like the cia are excited about these thinkers and these writers maybe we should be more critical right exactly. yeah right right um, right uh, yeah, the well that that Badu point is interesting because um, that was sort of something I had thought about in a different way. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've read that Foucault book, but like or a Badu book, but um, it just recently, like, so I had I did a mushroom trip in November, which I've talked about I think off air, but like the relevant part is I realized well number one how fundamentally catholic i am in like this really intense way that i didn't realize before because uh, i wasn't formally raised cap catholic but i was raised by two crypto catholics pretending not to be catholic which mm. just made it the most catholic nightmare possible return of the repressed yeah, yeah right for you for me yeah they and they're boomers so they get you know they've displaced all their guilt and all their shit onto me uh as they're wont to do you know, and they're responsible for that. But the that's not what I that's beside the point here. When I realized that when I was coming down off the trip, but the trip was a good experience, by the way. I'm just saying it illuminated this thing that I didn't realize before. And as I was coming out of it and piecing together, like I mean, part of what was happening too is I was visualizing like all of the it was like a map, like a fungal map of my own intellectual like my own consciousness or something that was sort of happening. And uh, like, I was like realizing how all these really influential thinkers and people in my life were Catholics, like Lacan and yourself and all these people. Um, And uh, anyway, but as I, that was when I was still kind of in the trip. And then afterward, when I was coming down and I was walking around outside, I was like, Oh, I was like, fuck, even all the, um, all the architecture is Catholic, even the most boring craftsman house. This is all very Catholic architecture. Um, and then I was realizing, oh, the Protestants tried to defeat Catholicism, you know, good try, but didn't work. It just recreated paganism in a different way in the form of Mm -hmm. capitalism in the market and stuff. Um, and so the only the only way out of Catholicism is communism. And so along those lines, it was, it was occurring to me that unfortunately the decline of religion in the West coincides directly with the decline of socialism and communism in the West in the, you know, post-war and then now post-millennial period. Um, And that's a problem. And so when Richard Wolff, who I don't normally like, but he was really good on homebrew Christianity because he was, I think because he didn't, he wasn't talking to a general audience. He was talking to an audience of like theologians. So he was like upping his game more. And I wish he would do that more often in other contexts, but he was crazily enough. His mentor in college was Paul Tillich, you know, the famous, (laughs) yeah, the famous German theologian. And Tripp was pointing out that like it's no accident or either he was or Richard Wolf was that it's no accident that um 
all of the major Christian theologians in the 20th century were also socialists um, because they basically had the same Christianity has the same insight as socialism. And like, if you're not a socialist and you're claiming to be a Christian, you're, you're a heretic, like you're full of shit. Like it just doesn't work. Um, and a lot of those, uh, you know, theologians were Germans, German Protestants primarily, I think, but like, and socialists who had to either leave during the Nazis, they fled the Nazis or they tried to participate in the resistance or whatever the fuck. Um, Tillich being one of those who fled. And I, th this is a problem for us on the left where there's not this link. There's not, I mean, for me and you, there's a very clear established link. We've talked about it. We've fleshed it out. Um, but in general, on the left, there's not this theological component and there's not an understand. Like people are just so reactionary again in the, and this is all very much rooted in the neoliberal era where religion is for the right wing. Um, and the, the left is supposed to be secular. Well, that's never historically been completely true. And we know that the CIA was more scared of liberation theology than Marxists in South America in the seventies, sixties and seventies. Um, and, and so like, I, I don't have a solution here. I'm just saying that like there's it's very interesting to I guess this this plays into the neoliberal or the the individuality point, which is I think with, with the decline of the transcendental, you have a rise of this individualistic shit where everything you, you have to like it's very people. Anytime like the suggestion is you need more and more extreme experiences to, you know, achieve higher and higher like developments of individuality watch out because sex crimes are about three steps down that road um or just murdering people or whatever mm -hmm. and like it plays into the government's hand or you know power power's hands because like take the charlie manson example like for our whole lives, we were told that Charlie Manson was just this lunatic and it was like the 60s had gone too far. And part of that was based on Vincent Bugliosi's uh, book, Helter Skelter, which has now been completely debunked. He was lying and it's pr there's a pretty strong possibility that he was being influenced by the CIA to cover up certain things. Um, Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos, uh, about this secret CIA program that it's he, he can't he won't talk about it in terms of having proved it, but there are such crazy anomalies with Manson's case like <laughs> Manson kept getting thrown into federal prison and then his federal parole officer would allow him to go live in Mexico. He told them, I'm going to go live in Mexico. And they're like, OK, and his his prison psychologist was the same was one of the key figures running MK ultra. Um, so there, and there's all these. So basically like the short version of it is what Tom O'Neill figured out was that all, the, there were all these programs and there are examples of people who've like, like there's this one airman at some air base who he like came out of a blackout and he had killed a, a young girl and he didn't know, realize that it happened. And it was clear that he had been experimented on. Um, so the CIA was trying to figure out how to break people's brains. Like, can you break somebody for real? And they, they unfortunately were successful in doing that. 
they were also trying to create like Manchurian candidate style um trained killers who you could just trigger and turn on. Uh now they claim they never did this. O'Neill's perspective is that what Charlie Manson was doing with his cult was creating just that thing and it worked. It just didn't happen to, you know, maybe it wasn't as clean as they wanted it to be. So they used it for these sort of psyops to like discredit hippies and stuff like that, which makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of money in a Vietnam war. Um, and so, you know, it can't be a coincidence that that happened. And also that those murders, um, if you can contrast that with everything else, the hippies were doing, it's not like anything else that was happening in the sixties with the exception of maybe, you know, the Rolling Stones fucking up and having the Hells Angels do security and killing people at their show. But I mean, that that's just being stupid. Like that's, you get what you pay for kind of thing. But, um, there's nothing in the hippie ideology that lent itself toward violence in the first yeah. instance. Um, and so like, and then there's, it gets weirder. There's, <laughs> I, maybe I won't go into it in this episode. Um, we probably need to talk about a little in more detail off mic first, but stuff around the son of Sam and there's links to Minot, North Dakota and shit like very crazy stuff. Um, and there's also other links, I guess, to between the CIA and serial killers. And so what I think my sort of overall theory is that basically the CIA probably did create some crude version of a trained killer, but they couldn't turn it off sometimes. And so they would point their, create their monstrous creations at certain social situations to try and um, influence or discredit or whatever, you know, just weird, really extreme tradecraft. Um, and so like, anyway, I'm, I'm saying that like, I'm saying that the power structure can use this tendency toward extremity and individual liberation as a weapon. Those are people who become not liberated and freer. They become sheep. Basically they become cannon fodder in ways that they would have never imagined before. Um, because I think it's important, you know, the sixties of course are very like you see a hippie now and you just want to like kill yourself because they're so annoying. But like, Back then, it was a lot like it, or like sort of the radical edge of it. Um, I, I mean, it's it's a the whole thing is actually kind of a wild emergence, you know, in American life. But what's most interesting to me, I think, um, one of the more productive elements was you did actually have a bunch of like straight laced white kids who are like, no, we're not playing this game anymore because it just it's it's a war machine and we're not doing right. it. And that you kind of don't see that anymore. Strangely, unfortunately, like be, probably because of all this Foucauldian propaganda, like Zizek had, you know, to your earlier point, like Zizek in an interview talked about, like, I don't know if it was in Poland or some Eastern European country where they had like a left-wing uprising kind of, um, the authorities knew exactly what to do. They started flooding the youth with Buddhist propaganda and weed. And then it all just kind of died. And 
I've heard even here in the U.S. from somebody who was like in California back then. Um, she had confirmed that that's what would happen. Like you'd have a concert, and then it seemed like it was going to get really rowdy and might turn into a riot politically or something and then all of a sudden all this weed would show up and everybody would chill out and it would just stop um and that's what we're being fed when we're told that like individuality is the way go go inward you know as zizek says for christ the truth is out there not like in the x-files sense but in the sense of the truth is in your actions the world not in your stupid internal like feelings and and whatever um, like Zizek is always saying the, the stories we tell about our, tell ourselves about ourselves are lies. Uh, the truth is out there is in what we do. And for Foucault, that's not real. I mean, that doesn't matter basically, at least as far as we are in this book. And as far as I understand it, there's just this complete, it's a complete surrender to the power structure in the guise of like individual liberation. Yeah, um, I I agree that uh, there's essentially nothing in the the hippie sort of uh, f- frame of mind that would indicate violence. But um, if we and so we have to bracket the fact that again the CIA was influencing them as they were excited about Foucault. But if you take the CIA out of it in both cases, um, it's it's at least possible that this move inward identity self sexual liberation and all that sort of thing i'm wondering if that can it didn't holabeck wrote it right about this too can lead toward violence um and we saw that with the manson thing but and it also we can see that with foucault insofar as it leads right. toward exploitation or domination of your your um, inferiors um and that's sort of like again embedded within the neoliberal move is what i'm getting at yeah um, those two examples so i don't know if that's true if you, Mm-hmm. Your thoughts about the Hulebeck thing? Because I haven't read that. But. Well, back, yeah, he said, uh, I guess it's how sorry. you pronounce. No, it's uh, my, I was mispronouncing it for 10 years. And then <laughs> sure. Anna on Red Scarce are pronouncing it pr- correctly for me. So mm. kudos to her. Uh, I think Hulebeck sounds better, but we'll just say Welbeck. Uh, yeah, so it was in the, not his best novel, but um, they're all worth reading. Um he was talking about like one of the characters ended up in sort of the same sex clubs that Foucault was talking about and was uh-huh. Welbeck's suggestion was that basically you, it always would escalate to murder eventually because in the extremes, because like if you're chasing more and more intense pleasure, then that's where it ends up. It's like, uh, you know, um, it's American psycho. Uh, Mark, Marquis Marquis de Sade or whatever. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, American Psycho, yeah. Um, yeah, that's maybe that's a better example because it's sort of cartoonish. Like I think that film. Right. So that's a really I, I'd have to watch it again, but like supposedly it was supposed to kind of be a satire, but the film is not fucking does not work as satire. It's a it's right. phenomenal film. Mary Heron's amazing, but like mm-hmm. it's not does not work as satire. And even Brady Stanellis like. He said um, it was hilarious because I read that book in high school and uh, there's there's like 20 there'll be like 20 page sections where he's just describing clothes and name rattling off name brands. And I just was like, okay, I'm not reading this. And then on his podcast at one time, he was like, well, I wrote all that stuff. And I assumed after the first like 
you know, couple chapters of that, you would just start skipping past it, you know? So it's like, okay, that's cool. But, um, and that's sort of like he, what he said he was writing about anyway, was this like, just not relating to any of his contemporaries and what their goals were in the eighties and shit. And like, I don't even know if he would claim to be seeing it as in such a logical progression to like, that's where you end up. But I mean, it it was sort of serving the same theoretical function or whatever you want, like aesthetic reality. So I think it works either way. Um, and, and I think you're right that like, like, so with the, I will say this about the Berkowitz thing, uh, the son of Sam, like without getting into the crazy potential intelligence, uh, involvement. Um, but, like they it's basically been established that Berkowitz was in a cult. He did not act alone. He didn't even kill all those people. He killed some of them. Um, he was involved with a cult that was a splinter group that an offshoot of Scientology that broke with Scientology called the process. And their goal was like chaos and like to combine good and evil and basically like be like as fucking crazy and destructive and transgressive as possible. Um, and, and my thinking, you know, I recently watched, I'm getting all this from, uh, the sons of Sam documentary on Netflix, which is fine. I mean, if you want to spend four hours watching it, it's not like the best true crime thing ever, but if you're interested in the case, it's, it's good to know. Um, but anyway, so the, the process, okay. So. Oh, anyway, yeah, sorry. That's what I was thinking about. The what's interesting about like Satanism, at neoliberal or post 68, post fucking Fordist, post Fordist Satanism is that um there's no tradition that they're calling back to. Mm-hmm. Like it's all made up. They're just mm-hmm. selecting out I mean, I'm sure they're pulling from like witchcraft and stuff like that or whatever you know, but it's all cherry picked and it's all pastiche yeah. or whatever. It's very postmodern in that way. Um, and so it's not, it's not even properly pagan in a traditional sense. It's just like, what can we get away with? What craziness can we do for our own gratification? Which again is very Foucauldian. Now, those people also quote taught Charlie Manson everything he knew about Satanism. So was there an intelligence connection? I don't know, probably. Uh, so, you know, we kind of can't totally separate it, but he, conceptually, you can see how the logic flows. It's like, oh, let's get into some weird stuff. Oh, let's get weirder. Oh, oh, now they have dirt on me. Okay, now I have to keep doing weird stuff. Uh, and then there ends up being bodies. or they're, they're, They were like killing fucking dogs and sacrificing. It was horrifying, but... And obviously horrifying that they were behind at least the theory of the film is they were behind the sun, the Sam murders and stuff. So yeah, like they're, and you get there very quickly. Like as soon as you're in the seventies and I don't think it's an accident that it sort of things got really dark in the seventies because the left sort of hit some sort of impasse after the Vietnam war, you know, it's sort of like they won and they lost, you know, they, they won and then they lost their ability to progress Granted, they killed everybody <laughs> who was a leader um, and highly recommend true and on series on the JFK 
assassination that's been ongoing. Well, you're like four hours into it, and it's you start to see that. And then we'll be able to talk about this this summer. This will be fun. Oliver Stone has a new four-hour JFK documentary coming out. Oh, wow. Um, at premiering at Con or Can, um, basically, like he was right about everything, and uh, he can pr- prove it. Um, and like Kennedy, even the stuff Chomsky says about how Kennedy wasn't gonna get out of Vietnam, like the people that they had on True and on who have researched it and basically established that that's kind of that was sort of a missing there. There are pieces missing from that narrative. So Kennedy actually was a sort of liberal, actual liberal who wanted to work with other nations and the people and the people behind the curtain were like, this is not happening. And he just pissed too many people off. And then they consolidated to like, it's, it gets crazy. There's shit. I didn't know about like how many, like there was like a fucking CIA command center in Dallas. Uh, the people who owned the book depository, had all these weird connections to all these powerful people. Oswald was clearly in the CIA. or had been before. Um, it's, it's chilling. Uh, and it really like, you know, illuminates a lot of like how far it really went that all the crazy people were never crazy, you know, <laughs> like that it's uh-huh. way more real than, you know, people realize. But again, like, you know, I, I'm sure people listening to the show have had to deal with boomers and their sort of simplistic kind of cynicism about like, Oh, well, like at the most, uh, Oh yeah. People in power. Like, you know, it's, it's a modified version of, yeah, the man sucks, but what are you going to do about it? Let's go back to like never doing anything politically anymore. Our whole lives, uh, for, for 40 fucking years. And those, the world burns now. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's a form of violence too, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that that's maybe even a more concrete or simpler version. Like, so we've gone to the extreme. Now let's take the mundane, which is like, yes, it's it's ostensibly more violent to be trafficking children and you know doing untold horrors to them uh, as a billionaire. But isn't it also participating in violence to blinder yourself to reality? in the service of your sort of simple private pleasures for your entire life uh, and pretend like you don't have any agency uh, immediately following your demonstration that you have a lot of collective agency, uh-huh. you can stop a war, the biggest war machine in human history um, and help anyway, the cause of civil rights, like, if the hippies had figured out a way to become radicals uh, and stay that way or create like a, like a functional functional institutions that could survive the end of the war, um, you know, and maybe they hadn't created new leaders after, you know, uh, Bobby Kennedy and MLK and Malcolm X and JFK got killed. Um, would Jim Crow or Neo Jim Crow have been as bad as it was? Like, would the prison industrial complex be what it is? Would the drug war have been possible? I don't think so. I mean, they would have tried, but they wouldn't have gotten very far. Um, so I think that's sort of like the the tragic part about this Foucauldian shit is this like this is the world that the hippies 
created in the wake of it. You know, they had the world by their balls. They had the, they had the best material conditions in human history as a class. And they, they spent all that, all that they, they sacrificed all that power to the altar of becoming the me generation and um, like trying to make money and just not giving a shit anymore. And so now we're paying the cost. We're paying the price um, and we can't fix the problems because they, they, they made the problems so intractable that nothing, nothing can roll it back. pause i don't know how to follow that up because it's so i I don't disagree right um i was maybe only gonna add to getting back to the book just a bit too again the title being the the last man uh, takes lsd and we haven't sort of dropped into that yet but there i mean there's another connection there too right and this is pure speculation on my part at this point no evidence but i'm starting to think okay so uh, you maybe recall the 1972, I think it was interview or debate, if you want to call it that, the Chomsky Foucault debate in the Netherlands, which is the, which is the loser debate. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, I read somewhere it's in one of the biographies of Foucault that um, like he only agreed to do that, or his payment to quote for doing that was a bunch of hash hashish that uh, the organizers gave him after the show. And so point being between that example and the LSD example, he's given this stuff by these uh, these intellectuals, these professors mm-hmm. or something in California. Like, how, how do we not know that there's sort of a CIA sort of back connection there as mm-hmm. well? In so right. far as this, we know the CIA was pretty excited about LSD and was sort of trying to make this happen. And so are, is there, we can't just completely dismiss the possibility, I suppose, that um, I mean, neoliberalism, as it's come to us now, too, was, a, an, again, an intelligence sort of right. project, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and anyone who sort of bought into that or went along with it as a Foucauldian or otherwise is, is really just doing the state's job for it. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, that's sort of my annoyance with, like, contemporary liberals uh, is... With like, okay, I'm just taking a sort of a caricature here, but you know, like these sort of these young. I, thankfully, this is waning because millennials are getting on in years, so I don't have to deal with it as much. But like this whole like Harry Potter liberalism, like um, this like just the annoying like loving coffee as being as a personality trait, and just sort of being obsessed with your pets, and just this kind of like basic white bitch you know basic white girl like ethos if you want to call it that um is sort of like again a watered down or safe sanitized suburban version of like that what you're describing which is like um is Foucault yeah so like take the just because we don't have any way to think about it or we don't have any proof yet. So we can't say it. Uh, but like to take the CIA involvement out of it directly, like you said, they're still doing the work of the CIA. Like what is, I mean, if thinking back to that debate, like Foucault kind of sounded like an idiot and then he acted really, he acted really impressed by Chomsky. And it's like, are you telling me 
you expect me to believe that like Foucault had never considered this stuff that Chomsky was talking about. Like that seems obscene to me. Like there's no, there's no way that that's true. Um, so it does seem like a performance, uh, in retrospect Uh and like, and so it, it definitely, where did that, do you know where that took place? Uh, it was it said some university in the Netherlands. Okay. I forget. So it wasn't in uh, neutral ground, yeah. Copenhagen or anything. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm just asking because I was thinking if it was in California, then okay. Then oh no, it's it. Europe. Um, but either that, way, I mean, it was still at stage. I remember it when it like that book got published, and then there was mm-hmm. we had YouTube, so we could watch the video or something. Um, and I th- I think they probably pulled clips from it for the manufacturing consent movie which is yep. really good the, that movie is really good but anyway that debate i i wasn't i was kind of into it at the time because i was like younger and more you know absorbing more like just theory all the time and stuff but um you know like the the further we get away from it the more i'm like why did that reemerge like why did this annoying boomer shit become sort of a focal point for the left in 2005 or whatever it was. Um, and so like, cause though they're based, those are two liberals debating is what's happening. Um, which is fine. I mean, on its face, that's not a problem, but it's like, where's the, where's the radical dimension? Obviously I've taken a lot from Chomsky and he's very, you know, he's, he's cr- constructed my understanding of u.s foreign policy and that's invaluable but he's told us to vote for joe biden and then he written out he's really gone off the rails like jimmy Dore showed a clip of him literally saying when asked about medicare for all this was after force the vote they're like what do you make of the strategy to try to force uh, to get the squad to force a vote on Medicare for all and Chomsky's like, well, we can be children and just cause we want a piece of candy doesn't mean we're going to get it. And it's like, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was really shocking. Like somebody who knows about social movements and knows that like huh? part of the process of winning is doing something that looks stupid at the time because it changes the, coordinates of reality it changes the material conditions ideologically like that's just one-on-one he knows that too uh-huh. um i mean kyle kalinsky had made that the point specifically about women's suffrage i think they had to bring it to a vote like three separate years and then by the third time it worked but of course the first time they were being met with the same arguments or whatever um and women's suffrage is different because they did it state by state and stuff but whatever like the point being like yeah you're gonna look like an idiot at first that's sort of what the the price you're paying so my point is like there's sort of no besides chomsky's analysis of u.s power and his proclaimed political affinities he's still told he's told us to vote for every democrat ever (laughs) i mean that's that's a problem um and so and Foucault covers so that's the sort of like Chomsky's sort of the technocrat uh 
like, I'll be honest with you. I was a little bit dense for a long time. I didn't know what the new left even meant. I didn't realize that what the new left meant was Noam Chomsky and Saul Alinsky and some dumb hippies. Like that, that was, that is what it was meant by the new left. Um, and that's a sad state of affairs. That is not a political tendency. That is sort of like a, it's like a science project. Like it doesn't rise to the level of political engagement by and large, um, at least not past 1970. And so, or maybe 75, but like, yeah, it's, I, I guess your point about, is it a size is, is Foucault a psyop or not? Like is Chomsky a psyop or not? I mean, it's some level kind of, I mean, they kind of work. They serve that function at the, in the end, um, because they've never in in either case. I mean, we'll see. Maybe I'm just wrong. In either case, I don't see a the proposal for a political program at, at ever from either right. of those two. And though they are the dominant figures in the liberal mind, mm-hmm. um, maybe at best they're the dominant figures in the liberal mind. Um, and what is on offer? You know, like at least with Zizek, um, you have a push in the direction of trying to formulate something new. Same with Badu, ultimately, you know, even if we could take issue with parts of it. Um, anyway, I'd, I'm sort of like yeah. trailing, but. With in terms of Foucault, I mean, I, I totally agree. There's no political project whatsoever, and I think the book does get to that and say he was always trying to just experiment with stuff and just see what happened. But then he wouldn't actually follow through, and he wouldn't seem he didn't seem to sort of think through the consequences of what he was sort of endorsing at the time or thinking. And the Iranian Revolution stuff is the perfect example. We'd write about the spiritualization of politics and how amazing this was as a pushback against Western imperialism or whatever, mm-hmm. not not at, at the same time sort of ignoring the fact that, oh, what's going to happen to intellectuals and the LGBTQ community and women in the wake of this? It's going to be horror, right? And you're okay with that, right? Um, but to, I mean, to the point of the uh, debate with Chomsky and his performance, I totally agree. The I think, again, I'm, I'm trying to remember my chronology. I think he came out with that book, Archaeology of Knowledge, which is kind of his uh, methodological book. And I want to say 1970 or so, and that debate was 72. And in that book, 1970, um, I want to say there are direct uh, references not to Chomsky the name but like his ideas or the mm-hmm. colorless green ideas sleep furiously structuralist stuff and he's taking issue with that so he clearly was familiar with Chomsky and structuralist linguistics right he knew that right um, point being in this debate the way he's sort of sort of just performing and not taking Chomsky seriously and maybe that's the right response but like what's <laughs> what's going on there and and the the book we're reading right now this last man one uh, I mean, refreshingly, kind of gets at that idea that, you know, this this Foucault guy in many ways was just all about status and cultural uh, capital. I mean, he was just interested in that. And that's all he was after. And that sort of, we see that too, in what that sort of status would provide him, which could be a particular uh, series of young men or, or whatever. Right. Um, and that's, and that's, again, again, the direct result of that neoliberal approach to again politics and um i guess cultural production right so he's maybe the architect of unwittingly or whatever uh i mean 
not unknowingly, yeah, but unwittingly becoming like the proto Epstein type of playboy and letting the darkness roll of it roll off his back because like I'm so rich I can do this who gives like like I don't even have to care about it like right I'll admit to not have ring red much Nietzsche but the little that I'm indirectly exposed to I'm like oh it's pretty good like that like in uh, that quote from Zarathustra about Nietzsche's last man is somebody who's just like doesn't have the <laughs> ambition to dominate people because it's like well, yeah, this is exhausting <laughs> right. um, and so tries to find this middle ground of like not it's not too strenuous um, it's not too painful but I'm kind of happy enough, which again, this is what he's describing is middle-class boomers uh, par excellence. Um, whereas uh, I don't want to paint, uh, to be honest with you, I don't, Trump is probably a sexual monster and pervert. And I believe everyone who's accused him of such, but he's not doing what Foucault is accused of doing. And, Allegedly, Trump kicked Epstein out of Mar-a-Lago because Epstein was openly hitting on young girls, and um, and and my and and I only bring that up because it's like it's almost like whatever you think of Trump, Foucault is probably much worse in practice, and much more guilty at the level of creating this sort of pounding in the footings for, uh neoliberal subjectivity like everything you hate about your boomer parents is probably in part Foucault's fault um and like oh this is the thing so this is we should probably do like a whole episode on this this is one of the wildest uh films I've seen in a while it's called the source family it's about this cult in California in the late 60s and they it actually didn't turn like really dark and violent. It just was, it, it, it's strange that it didn't. Um, so this guy, basically this business, like failed businessman <laughs> showed up in California. I think it was probably, it must've been Northern California um, around the sixties. And was like, he was like pretty straight laced. He was older. He was like probably 40 or something. And he started, he's like sort of looking around and scheming and like, oh shit, we can make some fucking money off this. So he creates the first organic restaurant in America. So probably the first organic restaurant ever. And it's super popular and they're making shitloads of money and he gets these kids to work. You know, of course he's not paying them well. They're just getting a room and board or whatever. And then of course he becomes the leader and he becomes a spiritual guide and all this stuff. And what's so wild about it is like at some level it's the same stories you always hear about a cult except maybe this one was making more money in general but you see as you watch if you have the context of understanding the ethos of silicon valley this this film again maybe unwittingly maps out the all the pounding in of the footings for like you can get it's basically you can have your cake and eat it too. You get spiritual enlightenment and you get fucking rich and we don't have to challenge the system. Um, And like, so like that to me, that's the function Foucault is serving. And of course in this cult, they have uh, without, you know, skipping a beat. What's so great about it is it's like they hit everything a cult could do without like, 
a mass suicide at the end, which is good. Um, but like, of course, like in, as you pursue this line of like enlightenment and whatever, like, of course it turns into orgies and like, he's like f- fucking all these like of age co-eds and stuff. Um, but then it turns into this occult stuff. And then <laughs> of course, like the sort of old pagan, proto-fascist type of iconography starts showing up because that's what happens when you play that game. Um, but luckily he just got sick of it. He like snapped out of it one day and he just quit and he just left. He's like, I don't like this. I don't care anymore or whatever. Um, and I don't want to say there weren't any, he was probably perpetrating on people and he probably did assault people and stuff. So I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't, I'm not saying it was all good. I'm just saying, it didn't turn into a mass suicide and it wasn't as far as I could tell a sex called involving kids. Um, but like it was just, again, it was so ideologically so wild to see like, Holy fuck. This is like, they are mapping everything. Silicon Valley is doing. You could literally draw back to this single point because the people who he was involved, I think with the people who made that whole earth catalog, which is something that inspired um, people like jobs and Jeff Bezos modeled Amazon after the whole earth catalog in the first instance. And so like our whole reality is this techno capitalist nightmare. That's all based on the sort of the remnants of the sixties that survived ideologically, which is all hyper neoliberalism, hyper individuality. Um, but also, but coupled with all this tight control of information and, control of mood like i'm sure if you work at google and you have a bad attitude that doesn't fly you know it's like that treehouse of horrors where flanders is in control and he's like forcing people to smile with like hooks in their (laughs) cheeks and shit um so like we all turn into joker in that first scene where he's trying to Mm -hmm. make himself smile um in in the in in a decrepit city that's overpriced and there's crime ridden or whatever um anyway so like that i think is the other it's not the other side we've already talked about it but just like the last man the last man is fucking elon musk you know like or jeff bezos or some asshole like that who has no ideas who has no their only ambition is i've said this before on the show but i can't get over how boring they are like let's all let's go to space hey i want to go to space like shut the fuck up no one cares. You're not any good at it, first of all. Right. Point two, like, it's a fantasy if you think you're, we're going to, you know, colonize Mars with Musk. Yeah, I mean, that's what Will was saying on Chapo today, but it's like, he's right. Like, that's not the way forward. Um, and so, like, the this notion of the last man, I mean, Foucault's last man or the last man that they're referring to is not this Nietzschean last man, but... Yeah. Um, do you remember what the I, I they contextualized it? It just didn't stick with me. What they said about the last man stuff yeah. with Foucault in particular. Yeah. Well, that's um, I it wasn't clear to me. It's a reference to a line he'd uh, something he'd written in I think the Order of Things, um, where he's like, oh, you know, the sea is gonna wash up and the footprints in the sand are gonna get washed away as the last man vanishes because of this new change in you know, political orientation and uh, ethical orientation and individuality and uh, 
mm. collapse of both Marxism and the state or whatever. Um, but it's not it's not clear to me the way in which yet these authors are responding to thinking about Foucault as the last man. Okay. Um, so I was only going to say to your to your point there, um, it, to to our earlier point. Well, Musk is not the last man or Bezos because we already established they're not human beings; right? they're, <laughs> they're aliens. But so I'm wondering if what's well, that's why they're the last man. <laughs> that could be. I was only going to say, sort of thinking about what the reference to Foucault as last man might mean here. So I was I was wondering that as well as you asked that question. Is that is there a way in which if the again these the the one percenters and even below that 10 percenters or whatever are just basically not humans anymore in, mm. in a lot of ways right are there ways in which someone like a foucault who's sort of doing that carrying water for that class but is not technically a part of that class are they the last men whereas um because they're sort of on that sort of uh, buffer between the lizard people and then you and i right yeah yeah they're like a conduit or something yeah well that's sort of i think what fukuyama meant not like literally that but um for fukuyama and this is why jizik's like we should kind of admit that even those of us on the left have been sort of left fukuyama is that the end of history Mm -hmm. happened um and it's i mean that ended with 9-11 and stuff but um for jizik but like and even Fukuyama himself has said with the new biogenetic stuff, like history's back or whatever. But uh, as a right wing Hegelian, um, Fukuyama's idea was that like you, all the grand narratives are over and it's just about management of liberal democracy. And like people have given up on causes and stuff. And that's sort of what he meant by the end of history and the last man, at least the way they presented in this book, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly. And so, like, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, there's a, there are different versions of that, but I do think I think well, okay, I'll say this thing, and maybe it's not totally related directly, but like, the thing I want to always stress when talking about liberals and liberal, let's call it theology, uh, is that liberals are always the ones pounding in the f- ideological footings for fascism or authoritarianism or whatever. And the reason is, um, I mean, the, the the obvious concrete reasons are stuff I've talked about before. Whenever you're planning a political whatever event with liberals, the first thing they want to do is call the cops and ask for permission. So they're always aligned with the power, with state power and with power in general. But um, more specifically, it's because they can be placated and bought off and they want to be. They want to be given what they want and they want to ignore what they don't want to see. That's what motivates them. They want to feel good about what they're doing. They want to feel like they are doing good things. And there are a lot of ways that you can be sold on the idea that you're doing good things or you're doing good work that's just totally bullshit and delusional if that's what you're aiming at. Now, if you're a Lacanian, you're aiming at the truth. If you are a Marxist, you're aiming at the truth, hopefully, or at least you're aiming at the truth of the system. And you understand a priori that the system as such creates crises. The system as such creates exploitation and horror. And the point of political engagement is to destroy the proletarian as a class, i.e. to destroy the conditions under which exploitation can occur. It's not what motivates liberals. What motivates liberals are things like balance and things like um, 
morality, which is problem. Morality is a problem because morality has to do with my sort of exchange between me and another person. Ethics has to do with doing what's right in spite of what it costs me, in spite of what it the effects are uh, in terms of like my individuality. Liberals are always opportunists. There is no liberal who is not an, always an opportunist. The second they stop being opportunists, they probably stop being liberals in practice. Um, so, like, you know, when I say pounding in the, like, footings for fascism or authoritarianism, just listen to Bill Maher for the last 10 years. I mean, listen to how, forget that, 20 years. Listen to just how far he's willing to go um, to defend the system, to def to just, he just hates poor people he hates women of color he's like it's just a guile and the fucking spite in his voice when he talks to these people it, it's un unbelievable almost and or people like sam harris like when jizek was sort of taking on these fake atheists he was like just quoting from sam harris i think it was sam harris his book the god delusion or whoever or whatever one of these that was dawkins yeah okay was dawkins it? yeah same end of end of faith maybe is harris i don't know yeah so but i mean harris has sparred with chomsky over like yeah. like harris like just ignores war crimes and stuff but dawkins then he literally was like oh look you could create a torture device that slows down someone's heart and they're in internally panicking and unconscious but the torture doesn't have to feel bad about it because they don't see it they just appear to be sleeping like that's the goal is to make better torturers ostensibly you know mm -hmm. overtly that's the goal or in sam harris's case to defend the u.s against war crimes so like that's why liberals always are on the right effectively like there's not there's not a center they're on the right there's liberals the right the the right wing consists of liberals and the right wing and the left wing consists of the left wing, you know, consists of communists, consists of socialists, whatever. And I'm saying all this because there's no way to be neutral and liberals would love to see themselves as neutral and they never are. And they can't be because such a thing is impossible. So I agree with the post-structuralist notion that like there's no objectivity. I mean, that's just like sort of something everyone should be taking for granted anyway as chomsky puts it everyone has an axe to grind uh which is true but it's it's important to be wary of this and we should be forewarned about it because with the absence of a like functional left which is where we live um we all de facto become these like jjx said left Fuk uh fukuyamaists or even worse like culturally probably left Foucauldians. uh I don't know like the horizon of this though is weird. Cause I'm not, it's unclear. You know, it's unclear cause it hasn't happened yet. So we don't know, but like, I wonder how zoomers are going to relate to this stuff because they grew up in the most retarded, dumbest version of Foucauldian neoliberalism that you could possibly construct in your mind. And I can't imagine that they'll be totally, sold by it because their their economic situation is so bad and they know it right, like right. they're in high school not thinking oh i'll go to college and get a good job like there's no way they think that i mean mm -hmm. you have kids you tell me but like i can't imagine that they're looking at the world being like oh there's hope in the future i mean there's you know the biggest climate movement was started by a 16 year old girl two years ago or three years ago so it's like they 
they get it. Uh, and so, you know, someone asked me last night, is this, is neoliberalism over? And I don't, I don't know. Um, but it may be over in the minds of the youth. Mm-hmm. I had hoped that it was going to be over with the pandemic. That essentially, the, the virus was, you know, the the end game of neoliberalism anyway. And it's like right. here we are. Right. Uh, but but we'll I mean we'll wait and see. But to your point about opportunism and liberalism, I I think, um, you know, by way of wrapping up here, maybe because I have to go to bed sure. or something. Yeah, I think the book does start to get to that uh, that we're reading now uh, that suggests of Foucault's own sort of opportunism. And I think that's pretty evident if you just look at some of the facts. You know, he had his moments where he engaged with political projects, prison reform or whatever. But I mean, it, it all does seem in, in you know, in hindsight, just kind of opportunistic, a lot of the stuff he did. And ineffectual in the end as well, maybe because it was opportunist at its core. So In that regard, you know, that's that's like... I mean, this is why I basically hate Angela Davis. She went from a Black Panther communist to whatever she is now, carrying water for Joe Biden. Like, uh, pris- like even the idea of prison reform is kind of a, an obscenity, like, from a leftist perspective. I mean, yeah, it's better than nothing. But in reality, we're talking about trying to reform a system that, like, literally turns people into animals. And and I don't – that's not a comment on their character. I'm saying if you treat someone like an animal, they behave like animals and they don't have a choice because they've been dehumanized. That's not their fault. That's the system's fault. Um, so what is the point of reforming a carceral state? Like, what is the point of um, – wh- why not just call to abolish all of it? Like – Again, we've had, I mean, it's just a crazy thing, like, to think about when you had, like, prison strikes going on in, like, Alabama in this country in the last couple of years with smuggled cell phones organizing. It's just like, we, again, we're all suckered by this and cucked by this, like, Foucauldian vision of individuality. We really are, because if prisoners who don't have phones or even the ability to write mail without it being monitored, they can organize prison strikes, work stoppages across mm-hmm. prisons with smuggled fucking cell phones. I'm pretty sure we can do a little bit better than prison reform or a nonprofit that only that's only job is really to pay the people working at the nonprofit and not get right. anybody else any material, serious material gains. Um, even the idea of like a nonprofit is like, the Foucauldian wet dream, um, depoliticized. You feel better about yourself. Like I was thinking, this is. I try to mask this person's identity as much as possible, but it just seemed part and parcel of this. Like somebody I know who works in the the regime of social services already a fucking red flag. Uh, this person, <laughs> she's been posting all these like quotes and sh- like memes and stuff from this working single mothers page which is like okay but then then it's like okay should we look at the context she she voluntarily adopted a kid in her 30s and is single and now she's the martyr of this she's the working single mother and it's like you created the own your own conditions of your quote oppression here like, I'm not saying she shouldn't get support from people. I'm just saying 
it's a there's a little bit of a grift happening and i think we're all you know to greater or lesser degrees the closer you are to being a social worker the more corrupt you are in my view like i was just commenting last night that one of the most progressive outcomes of last summer was that people started talking openly about how teachers and social workers are also cops which was sort of an unspeakable phrase before that so that's a really good thing but like and that's way more prevalent in Europe. Like Buddy talks about that, how like these immigrant kids, um, they're they they face off against the state in the form of women who are social workers who have a much more insidious way of wielding power and are more cunning and ruthless in certain ways than even the cops are. And so and Zizek's talked about this too, about how like that's the new face of power. It's power in the that presents as weakness, which again is this that's again the Foucauldian wet dream. Oh, like, hey, I need help. I need something. Like, there's this movie, The Florida Project, which is really good. Uh, it's just a crazy movie. Amazing, it got made. Um, and there's this like, it, it, you know, to the to the middle class white suburban mind, it's anathema. You have this young woman with kids, and they live at this hotel in Florida with all these other people who live in the hotel. And it's all very precarious. And then she's a stripper and she's smoking blunts all day. But, you know, the kids are out having fun. Like, they're not actually getting hurt or anything. But, like, you see this and you're like, the pearl clutching is just reflexive. And that's probably the point. But then she goes to talk to the social worker to make sure she can get housing assistance or food stamps. And the social worker starts, like, um, telling her all this stuff she has to do. And then she starts like yelling at the social worker or just not respecting the social worker, like talking shit, like in swearing and the kids sort of playing on the side. And she's like, could you not speak like that in front of the kid? And she just ignores her. And she's like, are you going to give me some fucking bus passes or something? What the fuck am I doing here? And it's kind of amazing uh, because it's like that really is probably the reality where it's like. The social worker comes in, tells you what's wrong with you and what you're doing wrong, doesn't help you, tries to make you feel guilty, and then you leave and then have to come back and beg for more again and again. And it, that and that is a very Kafka-esque neoliberal version of power. And that's what Foucault ultimately he claim again it's another example of like he's claiming to be against all this welfare state stuff but the reality is there's no alternative offered for people to support themselves if they're if they start out fucked um so you just get a worse version of that and then he would just you know like in her case be like oh he probably would he wouldn't be this obtuse but it would almost be like well at least she has weed to smoke you know, I mean, that's about what is being offered by liberals to poor people. For what it's worth, um, I feel like there's a version of that even in, in Joker, right, with the social worker stuff. And I don't know if we, I don't know if this is Todd Haynes' uh, I'm sorry. Phillips. Yeah, Todd Phillips. Uh, if that was his intent or not, but, I, you know, it seems like we're supposed to ask that question at the end of the film, whether whether uh, Joaquin Phoenix killed that woman right before he leaves was after that, that meeting. And then he walks out with blood on his shoes or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like if he, and so point being like, that could be the, the most radical moment of that scene. If he's sort of killing that Foucauldian version of power. Right. Um, and, you know, that's, and of course people are like, they cringe at that. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. For good reason in some ways, but also maybe that's the most radical part of it. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it, when you said that, it reminded me of Bill Clinton, like, I feel your pain. Like, that's really yeah. 
I feel your pain, and then we're just going to lock up all the black people now that I have yeah. a mandate. Sure. Um, I feel your pain. Now let's send re- literally roll tanks into South Central LA. Um, and that's what the social worker is saying. Like she's she's sort of uh, in the beginning kind of wagging or half wagging her finger, half being like, I know it's hard, but you have to do all this. And he's like telling her the drugs don't work like all this is. You're not offering me anything. She doesn't give a shit. He goes out to get beaten down by the world some more. And it just persists on and on. I mean, you know, I don't want to take the most annoying reading of of jokester. Uh, but, like, it's maybe worth repeating, at least in this, or, you know, saying out loud in this context, like, who wouldn't go fucking crazy faced with that reality all the time? Like, what are your options? And I know that's sort of the most obvious takeaway of the whole movie but i mean that really is what we're talking about with foucault because foucault can't answer that most obvious concern in fact he wants us to never think about it um and that's unacceptable that does turn people into the last man in the that when we were talking earlier i was thinking probably one of the the the, maybe the most uh distilled version of the last man is the the neurocapitalist mass shooter from Berardi's heroes. Like that is definitely the last man over and over and over again. Um, that no one, there's no commentary that's really accounting for that except in my, all I've heard besides Berardi, who's does a good job of sort of mapping it out is Max Kaiser saying all these mass shootings are sort of a precursor to a much greater social violence. If we don't solve these problems, um, but nobody else will say that and no one else can account for why it's happening or what it even is in, and for Berardi, it's just about dignity and like, uh, I don't think he uses that term necessarily, but it's like power about it's the only version of power that any of these people can imagine. And though, and in under the regime of neurocapitalism, where it's not just enough to control your, your work in your economic situation it also needs your mind to be work to be focused on your smartphone all the time or on your computer or engaging in the the network <coughs> um that's sort of that's sort of like where we end up like another last florida example this would be good just to put a really fine point on it the amazing show metalocalypse uh, on Adult Swim, there's an episode where so it, uh, for the people who haven't seen the show, it's a spectacular like satire about this metal band that's like it was like if a metal band's fantasies about themselves were true, where you just had like billions of fans and like um just all the money in the world and you could build these like fortresses and like it's just super insanely gothic and baroque and but they're also just like a bunch of idiots, you know um. Anyway, the lead singer Nathan Explosion, um, he he's they're so insanely popular and the fans are so like insanely obsessed with him that he gets elected governor of Florida, and uh, he does not want to be governor of Florida, but he gets elected and then he of course just by making sort of Trumpian reflexive decisions, uh, destroys the state, and the the last scene of the episode is when everything there's been total social breakdown and all that's left is a cop 
uh, like there's a car chase and the guy in the car that's running from the cop gets out and the cop just kills him. That's sort of like where we live now, mm. at least in the hood where, again, that's the future. That's the that's where we're headed. And so, like, that's another sort of whatever refraction of the last man. Yeah. There it is. <laughs>